Again, tonight we'll be going over uh, a portion of Second Nephi 6, 7, and 8. And Second Nephi 7 and 8 corresponds to Isaiah 50 and 51, where the Lord, um, as he does many times uh, throughout Isaiah, introduces his end-time servant and the ministry that his end-time servant has um, to the Lord's people and how we have different strata of the Lord's people who hearken to the words of the end-time servant at different times. And Lord's end-time servant will speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, and he will declare the doctrine of Christ. And those who receive it will be led out on that end-time exodus. And those who reject it will be subjected to increasing levels of bondage and persecution. And as the increasing levels of bondage and persecution ramp up, uh, there will be more and more of the Lord's people who will finally decide to repent and return and join Zion. So in 2 Nephi 6, uh, verse 12, We have, you know, in Second Nephi 6, we have Jacob recounting, you know, Jewish history and looking forward to the end time gathering of Israel. And starting in Second Nephi 6, verse 12, and blessed are the Gentiles or members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, But we have a caveat because he's not talking about the members of the church in general. He's talking about a subgroup of members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They of whom the prophet has written, for behold, if it so be that they shall repent and fight not against Zion. So first off, we find that the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints collectively will have a need to repent. So, as a cross-reference, let's go to 3 Nephi 16.10, where Christ is also prophesying about the times right before his second coming. And he also calls out the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and declares that they will have need to repent. So if we start in 3 Nephi, uh, chapter 16, verse 10, um, Christ actually begins with a prophecy of the early saints under Joseph Smith, Jr. And Christ says, And thus commanded the Father that I should say unto you. So on the on the scale of authoritative statements. It does not get any more authoritative than Christ declaring that the Father has commanded him to declare, and then whatever comes next is at the very top of the authoritative uh, spectrum on the authoritative scale. And this is exactly the situation we have in 3 Nephi 16.10. Christ is speaking, and he's declaring 
the father has commanded him to declare the following. At that day when the members of the church of Christ, because the time this is referring to is the initial restoration under Joseph Smith, you know, 1829 to 1834, when we still have the fullness of the gospel, of the fullness of Christ's gospel on the earth, or the terrestrial order church of Christ. And we'll see momentarily um, how that is specifically called out. So at that day, when the members of the church of Christ under Joseph Smith or Gentiles shall sin against my gospel and shall reject the fullness of my gospel. So the fullness of Christ's gospel is the terrestrial order. It's the church of Christ. And there has only been one restoration of the church of Christ in the last days to us, the Gentiles. And that was under Joseph Smith. And we know precisely when Christ is talking about under the restoration um, done through Joseph Smith, because Christ talks about when the Gentiles shall reject the fullness of my gospel. And the fullness of that rejection, you know, happened in 1834, but we get a warning in 1832. And so in DNC 84, we get the warning that Christ gives the members of the church of Christ. So in BNC 84, verse 54, and your minds in past times have been darkened because of unbelief and because you have treated lightly the things that you have received, which vanity and unbelief have brought the whole church under condemnation. And this condemnation rested upon the children of Zion, even all. And they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent. So as early as 1832, the Lord is calling out the the members of the church of Christ that they need to repent. Precisely as is prophesied by Jacob and Isaiah, but Jacob in 2 Nephi 6. And they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent and remember the new covenant, even in the Book of Mormon, which new covenant is given in 3 Nephi 9, verse 20. And our part of the new covenant is the new sacrifice that Christ sets forward, the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because that is the great sin of the members of the Church of Christ they're unwilling to enter into this covenant and therefore receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and become adopted as Christ's sons and his daughters. And thereafter have access to that level of revelation, which would instruct them how to part the veil and enter into his presence in the fullness of his glory and receive their callings and elections made sure. So this is what the members of the Church of Christ, as of 1832, under Joseph Smith, this is what they have need to repent of. And this is also what uh, Jacob is referring to, this, and, and then we get into additional sins and iniquity of Latter-day Saints that come after 
until they remember the new covenant in the Book of Mormon and the former commandments which I have given them, not only to say, but to do according to that which I have written. So not only to say with their lips that they offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit, but their actions follow their words. And they act not with hypocrisy, nor with deception. Verse 58, that they may bring forth fruit meat for the Father's kingdom. Well, what does that mean? Bringing forth fruit meat for the Father's kingdom is to become the sons and daughters of Christ. It is to do what is required to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Otherwise, there remaineth a scourge and a judgment to be poured out upon the children of Zion. For shall the children of a kingdom pollute my holy land? Verily I say unto you, nay. So, going back to 3 Nephi 16.10. So, this is how the Gentiles have rejected the fullness of Christ's gospel. Because they've rejected the new covenant, which is the very basis of the fullness of Christ's gospel. And therefore, they cannot become his sons and daughters. Now, not only have they rejected the covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, but as Christ is going to call out, they've actually turned to Babylon. And instead of investing their time and effort and diligence in the new and everlasting covenant, they've turned their hearts to Babylon. And shall be lifted up in the pride of their hearts, which is the opposite of a broken heart and contrite spirit, above all nations and above the people and above all the people of the whole earth, and shall be filled with all manner of lies and deceits and mischiefs and all manner of hypocrisy and murders and priestcrafts and hoarders, and secret abominations. And if they shall do all those things, and shall reject the fullness of my gospel, behold, saith the Father, I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them. And that's what happened in 1834, when we as the Latter-day Saints were demoted from the terrestrial order to the telestial preparatory order of the gospel, or the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham. And we had the Melchizedek priesthood taken from us, and we came under the regulation of the Aaronic priesthood, just like the children of Israel under Moses. Now, nothing was taken from Joseph Smith, or those who were with him in the holy order, who had also been ordained to the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood, and were members of the Celestial Church of the Firstborn. But that was only a handful of individuals, and 99.9% of the membership of the church were, in fact, demoted and were part of the preparatory gospel. Now, the caveat that the Lord gives is in verse 13. But if the Gentiles or but if now the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints will repent and return, you know, after having rejected the fullness, and return unto me, saith the Father, 
Behold, they shall be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. Well, how, how does a man, a woman, a Latter-day Saint become numbered among the people who are the house of Israel? Well, at the time of the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, um, we have the Gentile blood burned out of us, and we become blood Israel. So the way that the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are Gentiles, as Christ calls out in verse 13 of 3 Nephi 16, are to repent is to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then we become Christ's sons and daughters and members of the house of Israel. And so going back to 2 Nephi 6, verse 12, And blessed are the Gentiles, they of whom the prophet has written. For behold, if it so be that they shall repent... And we just read about how the Lord instructs us to repent. You know, but there's one additional way that the Gentiles are to repent. And it's actually part of entering into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. And Moroni specifies it in Ether 4. So if we go to Ether 4. And in Ether 4, verse 6, For the Lord said unto me, They, the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon, shall not go forth unto the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Gentiles, until the day they shall repent of their iniquity and become clean before the Lord. So the iniquity of the Gentiles are, are false beliefs, and the false doctrines that have crept into our culture that we believe to be true. And why do we believe them to be true? Because they have been made a part of our culture by those who speak not and write not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. And this is referred to in 2 Nephi 28. And in 2 Nephi 28... Verse 25, for as much as this people, and in 2 Nephi 28, Nephi is seeing our day, and he's talking about the Latter-day Saints. And this people, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, for as much as the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints draw near unto me with their mouth, and their lips do honor me, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precepts of men. Okay, so again, this is in 2 Nephi 27, um, verse 25. And so, you know, how is it that we honor Christ with our lips, but our hearts are far from him? Let's turn the page. 2 Nephi 28. Verse 14, and they were stiff necks and high heads, and because of pride 
and wickedness and abominations and whoredoms, just as Christ outlined in 3 Nephi 16.10. They have all gone astray, save it be a few who are the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they are led that in many instances they do err because they are taught by the precepts of men. So the iniquity talked about by Moroni when he saw our day in ether for that we had need to repent of before we could receive the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon is that we have accepted as doctrine the precepts of men. Well, what doctrines have we received um, by the precepts of men as to doctrine which are not? Well, Nephi actually gives us a list in 2 Nephi 28. Um, verse 21. And others will he pacify and lull them away into carnal security, that they will say all is well in Zion, yea, Zion prospereth. All is well, and thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. So that there can be no confusion about who Nephi is talking about. He calls out the people who call themselves Zion in the end times. It's, it's the Latter-day Saints, and that's who this is being written to. There are no other candidates. In verse 24, therefore will be unto him that is at ease in Zion. Again, there are no other candidates. Woe be unto him that crieth all is well. Because our doctrine has become corrupted. And as it says at the end of verse 14, all have gone astray, save the even the humble followers of Christ, because in many instances they do err because they are taught by the precepts of men. So all is not well in Zion when the Latter-day Saints are being led astray and being taught by the precepts of men. And how are we being led astray? And what are the precepts of men that we are being taught? Well, Nephi delineates them. First in verse 26. Woe to him that hearkeneth unto the precepts of men. And again, a precept of man is a precept that is given not by the power and authority of God. And the way that we know it is because it's neither spoken nor written by the power or authority of the Holy Ghost. And denieth the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, denying the gift of the Holy Ghost is having the whole doctrine of baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost removed from the canon of the Latter-day Saints. Verse 27. Yea, woe be unto him that saith, we have received and we need no more. Well, Nephi says in 2 Nephi 32, that the way that we receive the baptism of fire, and baptism of the Holy Ghost, and second comforter is in 2 Nephi 31.19. And now, my beloved brethren, after you have gotten into the straight and narrow path, meaning after you have received, well, excuse me, the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, I would ask you if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, nay. And 
This is how we receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. For you have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. So, relying upon the word of Christ with unshaken faith. What does that mean? It means seeking after, receiving, and acting on revelation and hearkening unto all the words that God would give us and command us through prophecy, through revelation. So when Nephi says that one of the sins of the Latter-day Saints in 2 Nephi 28:27 is that we would say, Woe be unto him that saith we have received and we need no more. It's, it's basically saying that the Latter-day Saints would say, you know, we have a closed canon of scripture based on what your leaders tell you. Um, therefore, there is no need to receive personal instruction about how to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit that you might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost for if it is necessary for you, you will find it recorded in a conference document. Um, in fact, the the official you know policy you know of the church is if it hasn't been um, declared by a general authority and recorded. Um, in publication, in the last three years, uh, it is not permissible to bring it up as a point of doctrine in church. And in verse 3 of Second Nephi 32, that after we receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, the way that we receive the instruction about how to part the veil and enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory, is, wherefore, at the end of verse 3, I say unto you, feast upon the words of Christ, for behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things, what ye should do, to what? To get to the tree, which is Christ, to partake of the fruit, which is eternal life, which is spelled out in verse 6, Behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and there will be no more doctrine given until after he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. And when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you shall ye observe to do. So, if we can only be instructed about how to enter into his rest through revelation, and if we can only receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, directly through revelation, um, if, as Nephi calls out in 2 Nephi 28, if we proclaim that we have received and we need no more, we can never be instructed sufficiently about how to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and second comforter. Verse 28 and in fine, woe unto those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness. And he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth lest he shall fall. So we have a division here among the Latter-day Saints. 
those that receive the truth with gladness, or those Latter-day Saints who are built upon Christ and Revelation, which is the rock, and those those Latter-day Saints who are built upon a sandy foundation. And how do you know the difference between the two? Well, when the doctrine of Christ is declared to them, those who are built upon Christ receive the doctrine of Christ with gladness. Those who are not built upon Christ are angry because of the doctrine of Christ and trembleth lest they shall fall. So speaking of that group in verse 29, who are not built upon the rock, and he says, Woe be unto him that shall say we have received the word of God. We need no more the word of God, for we have enough. This is not talking about all the Christians who say they have the Bible, they don't need the Book of Mormon. This is talking specifically about the Latter-day Saints who say um, we have a closed canon. And our closed canon is the scriptures and conference talks. And if it's not in those, we don't need it, which completely excludes um, the revelation required to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, as is alluded to in verse 26. We deny the gift of the Holy Ghost and the power of God. And verse 31, Cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm, or shall hearken unto the precepts of men, save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. So, the, the Lord is not saying that you're never to receive the words of any man, because if you do, that's relying upon the arm of flesh. No. He's saying that you are to use discernment. And the discernment that you're to exercise is to be able to discern when one is speaking by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost and when one is not. And when a man does speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, receive those words with gladness. Just as is said in, in verse 28, they received the truth with gladness. Well, you know, those words that are to be received with gladness, if a man or woman is built upon the rock, you know, that's going to be declared by a man or a woman of flesh and blood. And so we are to receive with gladness all the words declared by the parent for the Holy Ghost, but what we are not to do is received with gladness. Those words that are declared not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. And that is what it means to put our trust in man, make it flesh our arm, and hearken unto the precepts of men. And this was actually illustrated in Lehi's Tree of Life vision. When Lehi originally followed a man dressed in a white robe, and he followed him into a dark and dreary wilderness. And he wasn't delivered from that dark and dreary wilderness until he cried out unto God. Well, Lehi, um, in this vision, originally made the mistake of following a man who proclaimed to speak the words of God, but in fact, did not speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, and therefore led him into a dark and dreary wilderness. Now in verse 32, this verse 32 again parallels what we're going to be reading in Isaiah 
and what Jacob is saying here in 2 Nephi 6, verse 12. Woe be unto the members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Gentiles, saith the Lord God of hosts. For notwithstanding, I shall lengthen out mine arm unto them from day to day. They will deny me. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto them, saith the Lord God. If they will repent. So again, and it's not just these instances that we have you know, read here, but throughout the entire Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon prophets are calling out the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and saying, wake up. You're in a deep sleep, and you must repent, or you're not going to make it. But if you do repent, you're the Lord's people, and he has extended his arm to you, and he will forgive you, and if you do, you will become his people. If they will repent and come unto me, for mine arm is lengthened out all the day long, saith the Lord God of hosts. Now, the Lord's arm being lengthened out all the day long has reference to the Lord's end-time servant about whom we're going to be reading about in Second Nephi 7 and 8. And 32 is an encapsulation of what we learn in Second Nephi um, chapter 7 and 8, which are Isaiah... 50 and 51. So going back to 2 Nephi 6, and starting in again in verse 12. And blessed are the members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Gentiles, they of whom the prophet has written, or they of whom Isaiah has written, because a major portion of Isaiah is end-time prophecy writing specifically to the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And Jacob has specifically just called out this fact. For behold, if it so be that they shall repent. Okay, again we have that message that the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the end times, before Christ comes, must repent. And we've just gone through some of the points that we must repent of. And fight not against Zion. Now, why would Jacob, having seen our day and the Latter-day Saints, say that that strata of Latter-day Saints who would both repent and fight not against Zion? The implication there is that there would be a contingent of the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who would not repent of their sins and iniquity, and who would fight against Zion. Now, what is it to fight against Zion? Well, Joseph Smith Jr., the Lord's end-time servant, he returns to restore again Zion and open our eyes that have been closed for generations since the death of Joseph Smith to the doctrine of Christ, to the new covenant, of a broken heart and contrite spirit, baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and entering into the rest of the war. Fighting against those doctrines and those who will declare them, chiefly among them being the return of Joseph Smith, are those members of the church who would fight against Zion. 
and do not unite themselves to that great and abominable church, meaning that there would be many Latter-day Saints who would unite themselves with the great abominable church or church of the devil. And it's only a subsect of the Latter-day Saints who do not. They shall be saved. Well, why are they saved? Because they enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. And they receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is what is required to be saved. For the Lord God will fulfill his covenants, which he hath made unto his children. And for this cause, the prophet has written these things. And again, the prophet being Isaiah. And so we're about to go into a deep study of exactly the condition of the Latter-day Saints, the different strata of Latter-day Saints and their receptivity to the doctrine of Christ as it would be proclaimed by Joseph Smith in his second ministry and those servants who would work with him to proclaim the doctrine of Christ, to prepare the Lord's people, for the coming of Christ in the fullness of his glory. Verse 13, wherefore they that fight against Zion. And again, Jacob has just set out that there will be a large contingent of Latter-day Saints who will, in fact, fight against Zion. And the covenant people of the Lord, well, we typically think that all it takes to be the covenant people of the Lord is to join the Elders Church. But Jacob has clearly just delineated that it's not enough just to be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but that one must actually enter into the true covenant, the new and everlasting covenant, which our part of that covenant is to offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and become Christ's sons and daughters. That is how we become the covenant people of the Lord. They that fight against Zion and the covenant people of the Lord shall lick up the dust of their feet, and the people of the Lord shall not be ashamed. Remember, in Lehi's Tree of Life vision, there are those who are pressing forward on the path, even those who make it to the tree and partake of the fruit, who become ashamed because of the scorn that is heaped out upon them by those in the great and spacious building. And we've always interpreted that, well, those are all the, the non-Christians and the Christians who persecute Mormons. Well, do Mormons really care about what the non-Mormons think about them? Not really. What we do care about as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are what our fellow Latter-day Saints think about us. We care what our family members think about us. We care about what our neighbors think about us. We care about, you know, what our church leaders think about us and we care about what those who are prophesied that they will fight against zion among the latter-day saints we care about what those people think about us more than 
we care about what the Lord thinks about us. Or in other words, we fear man more than we fear God. And thus we become ashamed even after we've entered into the true path. And even after we have gotten to the tree and partaken of the fruit, there will still be many who will be ashamed because they fear man more than God. And the people of the Lord, but the people of the Lord shall not be ashamed. For the people of the Lord are they who wait for him. For they still wait for the coming of the Messiah. And behold, according to the words of the prophet Isaiah, the Messiah will set himself again the second time to recover them. Wherefore, he will manifest himself unto them in power and great glory, unto the destruction of their enemies, when that day cometh, when they shall believe in him, and none will he destroy that believe in him. And they that believe not in him shall be destroyed. Now, Believing in Christ, believing in Messiah, means a lot more than just acknowledging that Jesus Christ is real and even acknowledging it to the point of being baptized into the LDS Church or one of the other Christian denominations. This belief in the Messiah requires that when the Lord's end time servant shall declare the doctrine of Christ, or the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, when they read the doctrine of Christ in the scriptures of the Restoration, that they receive it with gladness and do not cast it out and do not reject it. And there is a major contingent of those who believe that they are God's people, who in fact are not because they have rejected the doctrine of Christ. And these are they who believe not in him. It's not talking about, you know, the heathens who refuse to acknowledge Jesus Christ or even enter into a Christian sect. It's talking about those Christians and those Latter-day Saints who proclaim that they are God's people and yet will not receive the doctrine of Christ whereby they might become his sons and his daughters. Verse 15, And they that believe not in him shall be destroyed both by fire and by tempest, and by earthquakes, and by bloodsheds, and by pestilence, and by famine. Now remember as we read in the Doctrine and Covenants that the cleansing will begin in the Lord's own house, and that it will begin by a desolating scourge, well, here are the aspects of that desolating scourge. The, the cleansing that will begin in the Lord's own house will be destruction by fire, by tempest, by earthquakes, by bloodshed, by pestilence, by famine. And they shall know that the Lord is God, the Holy One of Israel. For shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captive delivered? The implication is that, yes, that even though the Lord's people will go into bondage, and the bondage will be so severe, 
that it will seem like deliverance would be impossible, yet the Lord will deliver his people who will enter into his covenant with him. But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For the mighty God shall deliver his covenant people. For thus saith the Lord, I will contend with them that contend with thee. And I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh. And they shall be drunken with their own blood as with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. So God will not abandon his people, even though his people may suffer for a period of time and will come into bondage for a period of time. Yet those who will not forsake the Lord um, when opposition comes, those who will not fear man more than they fear God, will be delivered. And now let's get into the words of Isaiah. Second Nephi chapter 7, which is Isaiah chapter 50. Yea, for thus saith the Lord, have I put thee away, or have I cast thee off forever? For thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? To whom have I put thee away? Or to which of my creditors have I sold you? Yea, to whom have I sold you? Behold, your, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. So Isaiah, as Jacob calls out here in Second Nephi 6.12, is talking to the Latter-day Saints, to the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, specifically to those who refuse to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, seek after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and second comforter, even after it is declared unto them by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. They are they who will come into the most severe bondage. And the Lord is saying that they have put themselves into this bondage. Verse 2, wherefore, when I came, there was no man. When I called, there was no one to answer. O house of Israel, is my hand shortened at all that I cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness, and their fish to stink because the waters are dried up, and they die because of thirst. Or in other words, my people... You have sold yourselves into bondage. You have put yourselves into this condition. If you would just repent and return, I would deliver you. And if you will awaken, arise, and repent, I will still deliver you. I do not cast you off. You have cast yourselves off. But just as it says in Second Nephi, um, 28. Woe be unto the members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in verse 32. Saith the Lord God of hosts, for notwithstanding I shall lengthen out mine arm unto them from day to day, they will deny me. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto them, saith the Lord God, if they will repent and come unto me. For mine arm is lengthened out all the day long, saith the Lord God of hosts. 
So in these verses, the Lord is talking specifically to the members of the church who deny him. But even though they, we have denied him, still he lengthens his arm out to us. And his arm being a metaphor for the end time servant or that Joseph Smith Jr. would return and to those who are in bondage will declare the doctrine of Christ by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. And all the Lord's people have to do to be delivered is to receive with gladness the doctrine of Christ when it is declared to them by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. But verse 2, it's saying that even when that happens, there will be a strata of the Latter-day Saints who will still deny Christ, who will still deny his tender mercies and their opportunity to be delivered. Wherefore, when I came, there was no man. When I called, yea, there was no one to answer. O house of Israel, is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a wilderness, and their fish distinct because the waters are dried up, and they die because of thirst. Um, <laughs> the fish that are dying because of thirst are the Latter-day Saints, who will not receive the doctrine of Christ. And they perish of by their own hand and by their own pride and stubbornness. Verse 3, I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make slack, slack, sackcloth their covering. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned. Now we have a transition from Christ speaking to Joseph Smith, the Lord's end-time servant speaking. And he's speaking about his second ministry. So in his second ministry, he will speak with the learned tongue. That I should know how to speak a word in season unto thee, O house of Israel. When ye are weary, he walketh morning by morning. He, he waketh mine ear to hear as the learned. In other words, when Joseph Smith begins his second ministry, uh, this gives us an indication of his ascension level when he begins. So he will speak. By the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, he will speak as one who has been well-versed in Scripture, you know, and by the Spirit. Um, you know, when Joseph Smith began his ministry in his first ministry, um, you know, he was very unlearned, and it wasn't until the end of his life that he really you know, spoke as one who was learned. But as he begins his second ministry, he will begin at the very beginning, speaking as one who is learned. Verse 5. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. So, the end time servant, returns but he has to awake and arise to his true identity and he has to go through the entire path of ascension that we also must go through 
he must awaken or rise to the doctrine of Christ as it is contained in the scriptures. And because he is true and faithful to the truth which he has received, the Spirit points out to him the new and everlasting covenants in the Book of Mormon and the path of ascension. And so he enters into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, and he is the first in the second, you know, end times to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he's the first to be ordained to the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood and have it sealed upon him. And by receiving those two things, he opens the heavens so that it becomes possible for the rest of the Latter-day Saints and ultimately the rest of those who will hearken unto the doctrine of Christ to also receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, become born again sons and daughters of Christ. And then he goes on to be ordained and sealed, you know, to the apostolic order of priesthood and be instructed sufficiently that he part the veil and enter into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. And because he enters into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory and his taught and is taught directly by Christ, thus he is able to speak with a learned tongue. And he goes on from there to be ordained by Father to the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood and eventually to have that priesthood sealed upon him that he received the sealing power. And as we're going to be reading um, at X point in his ministry or by the time he starts the end time exodus, that marks the time when he has the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon him and is able to command the elements. But it's not just given to him on a silver platter. He has to work through all of the opposition, and I would say unto you even greater opposition than we have to work through, because he has a bigger target on him than we have on us by the adversary. But he overcomes the opposition that is heaped upon him by the adversary and he shows us that the path is possible. And just as Jesus Christ showed us that the path was possible, so does the Lord, Lord's end time servant show us that the Lord's, that the path is possible by doing it first and not by having it handed to him on a silver platter, but, you know, having to go through every manner of opposition that can be thrown against him, and still he overcomes, and he awakes, and he arises, and he becomes that polished shaft in the quiver of the Lord that will deliver the Lord's people and will be their exemplar um, in exactly what they also need to do to be prepared to enter into New Jerusalem. Verse 6, I gave my back to the smiter and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. You know, here he's talking in the past tense. And so this has reference both to what he had to endure during his ministry, during his first ministry in the 1800s, 
and what he would have to submit himself to again and would have to overcome before he would fully awake and arise in his second ministry. And, you know, this is what he submits himself to before he starts his end time ministry number two. Verse seven, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be ashamed. And the Lord is near and he justifieth me who will contend with me. Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near unto me and I will smite him with the strength of my mouth. So by the time Joseph Smith starts his end time ministry, he speaks by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, having entered into the presence of the Lord, having been taught by Christ and having received power and authority in the priesthood. For the Lord God will help me and all who shall condemn me. Behold, all they shall wax old as a garment and the moth shall eat them up. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Again, we have reference to that strata of Latter-day Saints, who even after Joseph Smith comes on the scene, who even after uh, they hear him speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, will yet reject him in favor of false prophets who speak not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. Verse 11, behold, all ye that kindle fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks which ye have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. So the Lord endows his end time servant with the light of a raging forest fire. And to those who have discernment, they can see the difference between a true prophet and a false one. They can discern between light and dark. And, you know, all those, although they who are Latter-day Saints who fight against Zion, Yes, they do have some truth. There is some light um, in comparison to the raging lights of the forest fire that the Lord's end time servant carries. Um, their light in comparison is as a spark. And because they are hardened in their own pride, and they refuse to offer up a broken heart and contract spirit. They will cling doggedly unto a spark rather than receive the raging forest fire of light that the Lord would offer unto them and thereby are hardened in their own pride and go down to destruction. Well, fortunately, there are other strata of Latter-day Saints that are described in Second Nephi 8 and Second uh, Nephi 9, and we will go into them.
And so here in 2 Nephi 8, we have Isaiah 51 and the first two verses of Isaiah 52. Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness. So here we have the strata of Latter-day Saints who will receive the truth with gladness when it is declared unto them, who would rather have the light of a raging forest fire than their own spark. Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness. Righteousness being a metaphor for the Lord's end time service. So those who, when the truth or fullness of the doctrine of Christ is declared to them by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, they receive it with gladness. Look unto the rock from whence ye are hewn, unto the hole of the pit from whence ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah, she that bare you, for I called him alone and blessed him. So, in other words... Abraham found himself in the exact same circumstance that we Latter-day Saints find ourselves. We find ourselves steeped in idolatry. And Abraham had need to repent of his iniquity or the false traditions that he found himself in as, you know, a boy and as a young man. But because he hearkened untrue the further light and knowledge which the Lord gave unto him, he continued to receive greater light and knowledge until he completely came out from under the iniquity. And again, these are the Latter-day Saints who do exactly the same. These are the Latter-day Saints who recognize that we have been steeped in the iniquity that Nephi outlines in 2 Nephi 28 that we have rejected the new and everlasting covenant, that we have rejected the most basic tenets of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the how to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and how to receive the second comfort. And so once it's discovered that we have rejected these things, we receive them. Just as Abraham did. Verse 3, for the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. So even though the waste place is that we have rejected and abandoned the most basic tenets of the doctrines of Christ, yet when They are restored to us and we receive them with gladness and we enter in to this new covenant and offer up our broken hearts and contrite spirits. Um, The Lord will receive us and he will comfort us and he will comfort us with the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost and with the second comforter. For the Lord shall comfort Zion, and he will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wildernesses like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Well, this is talking about 
the joy of the saints who have entered into the new covenant, who are receiving outpourings of the spirit and regular baptisms of fire, and who are those who the Lord calls the strength of my house in DNC 101. They are they who were prepared to go out on the initial exodus that Joseph Smith will lead. And, you know, Zion is officially established when the wheat is separated from the tares and that end time exodus begins. And so just as before Moses led the end time exodus, the children of Israel and of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were not one united people. They became a united people when Moses led them out of Egypt and out of bondage. And so will it be for the Lord's people. Um, first among the Latter-day Saints, and then among all the house of Israel, who will be gathered into the house of Israel on that exodus. Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation, for Allah shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light for the people. Um, you know, the law that issues forth from the Lord is, you know, specifically the doctrine of Christ, a broken heart and contrite spirit, and then all of the additional laws that we will be instructed in that are required at our hand to enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory, which will come both by revelation and through the Lord's end-time servant, Joseph Smith, Jr., as he leads us on that end-time exodus. My righteousness is near. My salvation is gone forth. And mine arm shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arm shall they trust. Well, throughout Isaiah, we have these, these parallel metaphors of righteousness and salvation. Righteousness being the forerunner of salvation. Righteousness being the Lord's time and time servant and salvation being the Lord himself. And so my righteousness or my end time servant is near. You will see him. He will go before you. And then my salvation goes forth. So as cross-reference to this, let's go to DNC 103. Starting in verse 15. Behold, I say unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. And this is exactly what we're reading in 2 Nephi chapter 8, which is Isaiah 51. Therefore, I will raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel, or as he has just been called in 2 Nephi 8, verse 5, righteousness. For ye are the children of Israel and of the seed of Abraham. 
Well, who is he talking about specifically? Those Latter-day Saints who will enter into the new covenant, receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, thereby they become sons and daughters of Christ in the house of Israel, the seed of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Christ. And ye must needs be let out of bondage by power because we are allowed to go into bondage. And we see the framework of that bondage being established right now with what's happening with the COVID-19 pandemic, the mandatory vaccines that are coming, and the much more severe pandemics that uh, will be unleashed upon us, the house arrest that we have been put into, and we only see the tip of the iceberg of the bondage that we are entering into that Joseph Smith Jr. will lead us out of. And you must be needs let out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. That stretched out arm is again the Lord's end time servant. And as your fathers were led at first, even so shall the redemption of Zion be. Therefore, let not your hearts faint, for I say not unto you, as I said unto your fathers, mine angel shall go up before you, but not my presence. But I say unto you, mine angel shall go up before you, and also my presence. So we have angels, we have righteousness, and we have salvation. So the end time servants and angels, and the angels are those translated beings who will be working with those who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, to help them ascend to the next spiritual level or the church of the firstborn level, that they might be prepared when we meet up with Enoch and his city to establish New Jerusalem. So those are the angels being talked about. Um, shall go up before you and also my presence. And in time he shall possess the goodly land. Verily I say unto you that my servant Joseph Smith Jr. is the man to whom I liken the servant to whom the Lord of the vineyard spake in the parable which I have given unto you. So, going back to Second Nephi chapter 8. Verse 5, my righteousness is near. Joseph Smith Jr., in other words, is coming. My salvation is gone forth, and mine arm shall judge the people. Well, how does the Lord's arm judge the people? And again, the Lord's arm is a metaphor for the Lord's end-time servant. Well, turn with me to DNC 101. Starting in verse 63 of DNC 101. And again, verily I say unto you, I will show unto you wisdom in me concerning all the churches or concerning all of those who will enter into the new covenant and become my people, O house of Israel. As much as they are willing to be guided in a right and proper way for their salvation or by the Lord's end time servant and by revelation, that the work of the gathering together of my saints may continue because it was cut short during Joseph Smith's first ministry 
that I may build them up unto my name upon holy places, for the time of harvest is come, and my word must needs be fulfilled. For this time of harvest is how the Lord uses his servant to judge the people. Therefore, I must gather together my people according to the parable of the wheat and the tares, that the wheat may be secured into the garners to possess eternal life and to be crowned with celestial glory when I shall come in the kingdom of my Father to reward every man according as his work shall be, while the tares shall be bound in bundles and their bands be made strong that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. So this is how the Lord uses his arm or his end time servant to judge the people. He separates the wheat and the tares. The wheat go out on the end time exodus and the tares, their bands are made strong and they receive destruction, which happens first among the Latter-day Saints. And then on the end time exodus, exodus, it will happen among the Lamanites because the first of the missions that will occur after the Exodus starts, because the Latter-day Saints will have already been separated into wheat and tares, then the Lamanites will be separated into wheat and tares. And the wheat will join the end-time Exodus, and the tares will be destroyed. And then the missionary efforts will continue to all peoples of the entire earth. And those who are wheat will be saved and those who are tares will be destroyed. So, back to 2 Nephi 8. My righteousness is near, or my end-time servant. My salvation has gone forth, mine arm shall judge the people. Well, we've just read how, at least in part, he will judge the people. There are other ways that are talked about in DNC 101. And... We'll talk about those later. The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arm shall they trust. So eventually, the sounding of the warning cry will go to the, all of the peoples of the whole earth. Lift up your eyes to heavens, and look upon the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke. And the earth shall wax old as a garment, and they that dwell thereon shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Okay, so, my people, it is critical that you learn how to receive revelation, and that you look up to the heavens or to Jesus Christ that you might be instructed in how to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and second comforter. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. Literally, um, as the preparations are being made for Christ coming in his glory, the earth will go into a new solar system one which is terrestrial, preparing for the earth to be cleansed by fire, and there will become a new heaven and a new earth. And the old heaven and the old earth, and those who will not embrace the new covenant, they don't make it. 
but my salvation shall be forever. And so now we have a reversing of the metaphors. Now salvation, which represents Christ, <coughs> comes before, um, you know, the metaphor of righteousness, the end time servant. So this is after God's saints have come into New Jerusalem and after Christ comes in his glory. The end time servant just doesn't all of a sudden go away, but he continues to play a major part in the work that will continue during the millennial period. Verse 7, hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart I have written my law. So now we have another strata of Latter-day Saints, and this is being juxtaposed Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, versus, in verse 1, hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness. So this is a spiritual step down. It's still the Lord's people. It's still a strata of those who will be saved, of those who will be led out of bondage, but they are not at the same level as the people in verse 1. Um, this strata of people needs an additional level of persecution and bondage before they're ready to transition from those that know righteousness to those who will follow after righteousness. Hearken unto me, Ye Latter-day Saints, who know what the truth is, but have not yet been ready to do what I, the Lord God, require of you to offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit, to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. The people in whose heart I have written my law, fear ye not the reproach of men. Neither be ye afraid of their revilings, because this is what is holding you back. Because for a period of time, you have feared men more than you have feared God. You have feared what your family members, what your ward members, what your church leaders might think of you, and therefore it has held you back. But you know the truth. And you will eventually become a follower of righteousness. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment. And the worm shall eat them like wool. So who will the moth and the worm eat up? Those who revile against Zion and those who never develop the backbone to fear God more than man. They will find themselves in similar conditions. Verse 9, Awake, awake, put on strength. O arm of the Lord, awake, as in ancient days. So, this has multiple references. Awake, awake means both these people who know what is right, but have been too afraid to do what is right. And then it transitions again to 
the Lord's end time servant and his work among these people. So the Lord's end time servant. So Joseph Smith must awake and arise. He has to discover who he is and go through all of the opposition that he might again receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, the second comforter, and ascend again to being ordained and sealed to the patriarchal order of the Melchizedek priesthood, that he might have the power to command the elements and speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, that he might come into the presence of Christ and the fullness of his glory, be taught directly by him, so that when he begins his mission, he might speak in power and authority with the tongue of a learned man. Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Okay, again, this arm of the Lord is the Lord's end time servant. So he has to put on strength or he has to become the man that the Lord needs him to become. So it's not just handed to Joseph Smith on a silver platter. He has to struggle and he has to overcome and he has to become. Awake as in the ancient days. So Joseph Smith was ordained to the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood on June 4th, 1831. But it took him 12 years to have that priesthood sealed upon him. So in his second ministry, it will happen much faster. Art thou not he that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? You know, the dragon being, um, you know, the powers of chaos and the adversary. Um, Rahab, let's cross-reference back to DNC 101. And here we have the cutting of Rahab. In his second ministry. Verse 57. Therefore, get ye straightway unto my land. Break down the walls of mine enemies. Throw down their tower and scatter their watchmen. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of my house and possess the land. And if you want to know who these enemies are, simply read DNC 101. Verses 49 through 54, and you will find out who uh, the Rahab is, who Joseph Smith is tasked to throw down, cut, and destroy. Back in Second Nephi 8, verse 10. Art thou not he who hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransomed to pass over. Okay, so we have an allusion to Moses parting the Red Sea, that the children of Israel might pass through. 
And so Joseph Smith also must have the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon him because in the end time exodus that he will lead, it will also be required of him that he will have to have command of the elements to fulfill his end time mission in leading out the strength of the Lord's house to meet up with Enoch, his city, and establish New Jerusalem. And, you know, again, look. For the ransomed to pass over. Um, So, you know, the ransomed being the Lord's people who come into bondage. And they become ransomed because they enter into the new covenant and become Christ's sons and daughters. And so Christ is the one who ransoms. And then he delivers them from physical bondage through his end-time servants. Verse 11. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return. Okay, remember that in DNC 103, we read that those who are to be led out on the end time exodus, the Lord says, ye are the children of Israel, and ye must be needs led out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. So he's just talked about the ransomed or those who enter into the new covenant become Christ's sons and his daughters. And then he talks about them again with a different word, those who are redeemed. Well, we become redeemed as we become Christ's sons and his daughters. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. Well, this has direct reference to the new song that is given unto us by the Lord in DNC 84. So, Let's go to DNC 84 and read about that new song. Let's start in verse 96, DNC 84, 96. For I, the Almighty, have laid my hands upon the nations to scourge them for their wickedness. And the plague shall go forth, and they shall not be taken from the earth until I have completed my work, which shall be cut short in righteousness. Until all shall know me who remain, even from the least unto the greatest, and shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, and shall see eye to eye, and shall lift up their voice with the voice together, sing this new song, saying. Now, this is talking about the exact same uh, moment in time that Isaiah is talking about. The Lord hath brought again Zion. The Lord hath redeemed his people Israel, according to the election of grace, which was brought to pass by the faith and the covenant of their fathers. The Lord hath redeemed his people, and Satan is bound, and time is no longer. And the Lord hath gathered all things in one. The Lord hath brought down Zion from above. And the Lord hath brought up Zion from beneath. And the earth hath prevailed and brought forth her strength. And truth is established in her bowels. And the heavens have smiled upon her. And she is clothed with the glory of her God. For he stands in the midst of his people. Glory and honor and power and might. 
be ascribed to our God, for he is full of mercy, justice and grace and truth and peace forever and ever. Amen. And again, verily I verily I say unto you, it is expedient that every man who goes forth to proclaim mine everlasting gospel, that inasmuch So back in Second Nephi eight. Verse eleven. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy and holiness shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, sorrow and mourning shall flee away. I am he, yea, I am he that comforteth you. Behold, who art thou, that thou shouldst be afraid of man who shall die, and the son of man who shall be made like unto grass? You know, again, you know, talking to those people who have initially been kept back because, as it says in verse 7, hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart I have written my law, fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be afraid of their revilings. So these are the Latter-day Saints who have feared the reproach of men and the revilings. They have feared man more than God, but eventually they awaken a rise. I am he, yea, I am he that comforteth you. Behold, who art thou that thou shouldst be afraid of man who shall die, and of the son of man who shall be made like unto grass? Now, these are they who not only fear the reproach of those in the great and spacious building, but though also those who fear um, the, the captivity and the captors to which we go into. And, you know, fear more the bondage than have put full faith and trust in their Lord who is mighty to save. Verse 13, And forgettest the Lord thy maker, that has stretched forth the heavens, and laid the foundations of the earth, and has feared continually, every day because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hasteneth, that he may be loosed, and that he should not die in the pit, nor that his bread should fail. So, you know, these are covenant curse situations that, you know, those who are led out from bondage, you know, they won't starve to death. Uh, the Lord will provide for them. And so the Lord's people shouldn't fear because the Lord will take care of them. But I am the Lord thy God, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is my name. So, you know, the waves roaring is reference to the staff in the Lord's left hand, the king of Babylon, king of Assyria, who destroys 90% of the world population 
and destroys the wicked. And, you know, the true saints of God, you know, this strata will fear that they will also be destroyed by the king of Babylon, king of Assyria, um, and are trying to have sufficient faith in the Lord um, that they might fully become his people, just as the previous strata of people that we have read about. So even though their faith is not as strong as the prior, the Lord has not cast them off. He gathers in all who will. And so, you know, he's helping them get to the place where they will eventually need to be to become a Zion people and to enter into the new Jerusalem, even if they're not there now. But through what they're going to experience on the Exodus, they'll receive the experience that they need to get where they need to be. Again, at the end of verse 16, Behold, thou art my people. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which has drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. Thou hast drunk the dregs of the cup of the trembling wrung out. So in other words, you know, these individuals have to go into a more severe bondage than the previous group of people to help them awaken and arise. These people eventually ascend from the Jacob-Israel category to Zion-Jerusalem, but it requires great tribulation. Verse 18, and none to guide her among all the sons she hath brought forth, neither that taketh her by the hand of all the sons she hath brought up. These two sons are coming to thee, who shall be who shall be sorry for thee, thy desolation and destruction and famine and the sword, and by whom shall I comfort thee? So, you know, these people have to suffer famine and sword and destruction before they eventually awaken or rise. But they're still God's people. Thy sons have fainted, save these two. They lie at the head of all the streets as a wild bull in a net. They are full of fury of the Lord, the rebuke of thy God. Therefore hear now this, thou afflicted and drunken and not with wine. Thus saith the Lord, the God, and thy God, who pleadeth the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. Thou shalt no more drink it again. So finally, just as the people of King Limhi came into bondage and Many of them did not qualify for deliverance from destruction, and so they had to go to war with the Lamanites, and three-quarters of them were destroyed. But the quarter who survived, the, the wars and the desolation that they encountered and the severe bondage which they came into by the Lamanites, and unlike the people of Alma, um, 
who qualified for deliverance from extreme bondage. These people did not qualify for deliverance from extreme bondage, but this extreme bondage and their persecutions um, helped them humble themselves and enter into the new covenant and ascend to the level of elect, or in other words, when Christ says, and the Lord and thy God pleadeth the cause of his people, eventually they sufficiently enter into the new covenant, that Christ pleads their case before the Father and receives permission to adopt them as his sons and his daughters. And when that permission is granted, that's when the ordinance of baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost is performed, and then they qualify for deliverance from this extreme bondage. Thus saith the Lord, the Lord thy God pleadeth the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. Thou shalt no more drink it again, but I will put it into the hand of them that afflict thee, who have said to thy soul, Bow down, that we may go over. Thou hast laid thy body as the ground, and as the street to them that went over. Or in other words, before this strata of the Lord's people finally reach a broken heart and contrite spirit, that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, they've had to go through all manner of deprivation. They have had to not only humble themselves less than the dust of the earth, but because of the hardness of their heart and their obstinance, they have incurred wrath upon them, and they have required that the Lord would allow the king of Babylon, king of Assyria, to smite them, even that they bowed down, and laid their body on the ground uh, as the street to them that went over. Verse 24, awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, or, you know, enter into the new covenant, that you might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and that the men might receive power in the Aaronic priesthood, and might be ordained to the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood and do what is required of them that they have might have this priesthood sealed upon them. That is what it means. Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for henceforth there shall no more come in unto thee, the uncircumcised and the unclean. All right. So we you know, this is the final separation of the Lord's covenant people. They who will enter into the covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. And that there are many different strata of the Lord's people. Those who will immediately enter into that covenant and do whatever is required of them. And all the way down the spiritual strata to those who recreate or require great scourging and bondage and destruction before they will finally enter into that covenant. But eventually all who will enter into that covenant are united as one people 
and are the covenant people of the Lord and are prepared for his coming in his glory. 25, shake thyself from the dust, arise, sit down, O Jerusalem, loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Finally, the wise virgins are admitted into the wedding feast after the final separation of wheat and tares, after the final opportunity for foolish virgins to become wise virgins. Finally, at last, all who will release themselves from the bondage that they have put themselves into because of the hardness of their hearts, um, all they that will enter into the new covenant, a broken heart and contrite spirit, will become the sons and daughters of Christ and will proceed to enter into the rest of the Lord and unite with the city of Enoch for the establishment of New Jerusalem. And I add my testimony to Jacob's and to Nephi's and to Joseph Smith's and to Isaiah's that these words are truly being spoken unto us in our day. We are the Gentiles about whom it was spoken. And we have the choice about which of these strata um, that we are a part of. And the Lord God is our Redeemer. He is our Deliverer. He is our God. He is our all. And Joseph Smith has returned. He hasn't yet come on the scene. He hasn't yet made himself visible. Um, but he is preparing to do so. And that there are those who are the end time servants who have returned with Joseph Smith, who have commenced the work of the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house in preparation for Joseph Smith coming back on the scene. And those who have taken the Holy Spirit as their guide at this day and at that day will receive the truth with gladness and will become God's covenant people. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And now we will end this portion of the 